Let's take our Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter number one. This morning in the morning message, we're going to be looking at a portion of the Christmas story, uh, that which is recorded in Matthew chapter number one. If you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles we have around the congregation for our guests, you'll find that at page number 567. Page 567, Matthew chapter 1, reading the part of the story that relates specifically to Joseph. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 18. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till the day till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Well, Christmas, uh, Christmas is filled with wonderful traditions, is it not? Family traditions. And you know, family traditions are valuable. Family traditions uh, are important to all of us. As a matter of fact, it, it, uh, it is in the traditions that we develop in our lives as families that, that bring solidarity to the family. It, it brings identity to the family. And as we grow up, we think back to the traditions that were unique to our family. Family traditions are precious, valuable, regardless of what time of year or what those traditions revolve around. But Christmas just takes it over the top. Family traditions at Christmas time. All the decorations, the presents, the family schedule, the things that we do and when we do what we do. There's so much wrapped up in family tradition at Christmas time. And those traditions are meaningful and important to us. And underneath all of the family traditions we develop about our, the way we remember and, and, and celebrate Christmas, there is an underlying reality about Christmas that if we're not careful can be easily overshadowed by our traditions. And we can even lose uh, the underlying reality about Christmas. Nearly 45 years ago, 
pretty early in my ministry in Canada, I began to reflect upon what Christmas really was all about. As a pastor, a young pastor, realizing that, that I held an important place in what people think about at Christmas time, and encouraging and challenging families to keep Christ central in Christmas, it was in those early days I began to think about the first Christmas and what the first Christmas was all about. And it was sometime in those early years that I began to go through the Christmas story and pick out a different character every year. And for over 40 years, I guess, I've been preaching on characters in the first Christmas story. And this morning, I want us to focus on Joseph. You picked up a, uh, a, a sermon worksheet from a chair near you, perhaps, when you came in. If you missed getting one, ushers are coming behind you, and they've got uh, some additional copies. So, uh, you know the routine, and uh, you flag them down. Make sure you get one of those uh, for each of you as we give some consideration to Joseph. Joseph's role in the first Christmas. And you know, the only real way to capture the reality of the first Christmas is to meditate deeply on the people that were there, the characters of the first Christmas story, and understand what that first Christmas meant to them personally. We understand what Christmas meant to those that cast of characters uh, back 2,000 years ago, then we can come close to capturing in our hearts what it was that God wanted people to think about when they thought of the Christmas story. And so this morning, our focus is on Joseph, because Joseph adds a part to the Christmas reality that no other member quite brings as he did. And that is the depth and the authenticity of deep character in the life of a person making decisions that were very, very difficult decisions to make. And so our bluff this morning is that the first Christmas revealed deep character. Joseph really is a, 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 a hero of the Christmas story. He's probably one of the ones that's most forgotten, the one that gets the least amount of attention of the Christmas story. And yet the part that he played underscores the importance of character in our lives when it comes to challenging and difficult situations and the ability to make wise decisions at a time when things are not very clear and we're struggling with what's going on around us. And so, Joseph brings to us some interesting thoughts about character in a time of confusion. There are two characteristics of Joseph that I find in the, uh, the part that Joseph played. And you see those as number one and number two in your little, uh, little sermon worksheet this morning. And uh, the first characteristic I see in the life of Joseph, the one that we'll put our emphasis on, is that Joseph was a man of discernment. A man of discernment. Discernment is a, is a valuable part of our thought and our character in our lives. 
Discernment is, is something that comes with, with um, maturity. Discernment is something that comes with careful reflection and deep thinking. Discernment is the ability to analyze variables against a backdrop of what, whatever is important to me and my way of thinking, and then making careful decisions amongst those variables based on that backdrop. Discernment, the ability to sift and separate, the ability to analyze and look at the options and sift them and separate them on the basis of their merit. And then to determine what it is, not necessarily what is okay or what is acceptable, but to discern what is best. We're encouraged to do that in Philippians chapter 1, to grow in our knowledge and in our judgment. And the word judgment there is the word for discernment. It's judging, identifying, separating, and discerning. And we're to grow in our our knowledge and in, in our uh, our, our judgment, our, our love, so that we can approve things that are excellent. Or in other words, so that we can test things and put the stamp of approval, not on what's right versus what's wrong, but that which is best compared to what is okay. It's the ability, as one person said, to never let the good be the enemy of the best. Always striving for the best. That's what I see in Joseph's life as he, as he was a man of character who was able to exercise great discernment. That strategic day in his life that we read about in Matthew chapter 1. Man of discernment. The story with regards to Joseph's role opens up with a very brief background explanation and then a restless night tossing and turning in bed trying to figure out what to do. The brief background is given to us in verse number 20 where the Bible says, while he thought on these things, I'm sorry, the, the, um, the background begins in verse 18, verse 20, Picks up with his discernment. Verse 18, the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Brief little background. All about marriage customs that are foreign to some of us in this room. Some not so much so, depending on what your ethnic background is. This was the marriage customs of arranged marriages where Joseph's family and Mary's family had known one another and had considered their children as potential marriage partners and had arranged for them to become married. In the customs, in their marriage customs, once that decision was made and perhaps Joseph and Mary agreed to the decision, then a ceremony was planned. It was a betrothal ceremony. Verse number 18 says that, that Mary was espoused to Joseph. They had had their espousal ceremony, which was um, maybe vaguely like, like Western culture's engagement, only it was very much more intense and binding. It was a legal agreement that you could not get out of. 
Once you were betrothed, you were husband and wife. That's why in the brief background, Joseph is called her husband and Mary is called his wife because they had already had their espousal ceremony. They didn't live in the same house. Mary still lived with her parents. Joseph still lived with his parents. And for about a year, they lived with their own families, even though they were husband and wife. They were in the espousal period. Joseph would build a house or prepare a place for his new family when time came. And enough time was always required to give evidence that there was moral purity on the part of the wife. And all of a sudden, during the betrothal time, Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. That changes everything. You see, while Joseph and Mary were espoused to be married and going through the espousal period that would last for up to a year, Mary had all of a sudden gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And she had heard that Elizabeth was with child. And in fact, Elizabeth was six months into her pregnancy, even though Zacharias and Elizabeth were well past the physical age of bearing children. And so even though they were way past the physical age to bear children, God had miraculously enabled them as husband and wife to conceive a child. He would be John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was six months pregnant when, when Mary left and went to see her cousin Elizabeth. And she spent three months with Elizabeth. And then before, just before Elizabeth gave birth to John, the, who would become John the Baptist, Mary went back home to Nazareth. And the Bible says that when she got back home to Nazareth, she was found with child. You see, right before Mary had gone to visit Elizabeth, an angel had appeared to Mary and said, Mary, God has chosen you to be the one who would fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament that a virgin would conceive and bear a child and he would be known as Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in humanity. And the angel appeared to Mary and said to Mary, God has chosen you to be that, that woman who would fulfill that prophecy of the Old Testament. Mary said, I, 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 I don't know a man. I, I, I'm not, we're in our spousal period. We, you know, how could I have a child? And the angel told her that it would be a miracle child. It would not involve a human father. It would involve God supernaturally. Causing Mary to be with child. And the angel told Mary, said, you know, this sounds impossible, and it is for man, but with God nothing's impossible. To encourage you in your faith, you're just a young teenage girl, encouraging you in your faith and your ability to believe that God is doing something unusual. And then the angel told her about her cousin Elizabeth, who Mary knew couldn't have a baby. I mean, she was an old woman and her husband was an old man and they couldn't have children and had never had children. Couldn't have one now. And the angel said that God has 
enabled them in their old age to husband and wife conceive. And God has done something miraculous. And you can go visit Elizabeth and you can see the confirmation that when God tells you that he's going to do something, even though it's humanly impossible, you can believe that God can do what he said he's going to do. On the basis of that as a faith builder for this young lady, Mary said to the angel, be it unto me according to your word. And she yielded her life to become the mother of the Messiah. God in human flesh. She went off to see Elizabeth and spend those three months with her. But when she came back, the fact that the Bible says she was found with child indicates to us that she had not told anybody about the meeting with the angel and about her bearing the Christ child. She just up and left the area and traveled down to Judea to visit with her cousin for three months. So when she arrives back, and we don't know how long she was back, but sooner or later she was found to be with child. Uh, There's some things you just can't hide but for so long, right? And she was found to be with child. I wonder who found it. I wonder who noticed it. Was it mom? She was still living with mom and dad. Was it mom that began to get suspicions? Was it mom and dad that began to talk and said, you know, Something just doesn't seem right. Was it Joseph that noticed? At some point in time, she was found to be with child, which put Joseph in the most difficult situation of his life. This is a serious situation. They were not living with modern Western culture, moral or shall I say immoral, Convictions. This was a major problem. A woman in her betrothal stage, pregnant, and only one man knows whether or not Joseph was the one that caused her to become pregnant, and he knew he had not caused her to become pregnant. And so all of a sudden, we have a major problem on our hands. Joseph has a decision to make. According to the law of the Old Testament and according to the customs of the Jewish people, Joseph had three options. You see those three options in the the box there on your sermon worksheet. Option number one, he could go ahead and marry her. Knowing in his mind that she has been unfaithful to him, she has not been moral, he could go ahead and marry her anyway. His second option was that that he could have her publicly humiliated for what she had done to him and have her stoned to death as the punishment for her behavior. And the third option was that he could divorce her. They were still in the betrothal stage. They had not come together as husband and wife. And either, even though they were husband and wife, Because they had not come together as husband and wife, Joseph had the legal right to divorce her and marry someone different. Those were Joseph's three options. Verse number 19 says, Then Joseph, her husband, 
And there are three phrases that identify those three options and what Joseph is going to do about each of them. Option number one is that he could just go ahead and marry her, but he wouldn't do that because verse number 19 says, Joseph being a just man. Joseph is a just man. He is not going to marry an immoral woman. He's not going to marry a woman who has been unfaithful to him. Whether or not Mary told Joseph what the angel had told her, Joseph's not buying it. Joseph's not believing it. Joseph is not accepting that her pregnancy is a supernatural miracle that involves no human man. He's a just man. And as a just man, he will not marry her. You know, the story is so vague. Like so many stories in the Bible, we read the Christmas story and, and, and the mind begins to just go, doesn't it? You begin to ask questions. You begin to wonder, how well did Joseph's family know Mary's family before they arranged this marriage? How well did Joseph know Mary? Sometimes in arranged marriages, they don't spend a lot of time together before they get married. How well does Joseph know this woman? I thought I knew Mary. I don't know if I even know who she is now. She doesn't seem to be the one I thought she was. Perhaps Joseph began to struggle to understand what's going on and who is this. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but tradition tells us that Mary's dad and mom were from Sephorus, which was a very large Roman city, a one-hour walk away to the north and a little bit to the west of Nazareth. Nazareth was a little agricultural village with about a hundred people in it. It was a no place. But Sephorus was a major city. As a matter of fact, Herod Antipas, after he became the, the, uh, the political head of Galilee for Rome, he built his palace and he made Sephorus the capital of his administration. It was a one-hour walk from Nazareth, Nazareth to Sephorus. Sephorus was in a building boom when Jesus was a teenager, Herod Antipas was building the city, building the palace. They had an amphitheater that would seat 4,000 people for their Greek uh, and Roman uh, plays and, and uh, events. It was a prosperous city. Uh, it was a political city. It was a city of education and arts and entertainment. And because Joseph and Jesus were skilled artisans, historians have speculated that probably all of the skilled artisans in that whole region were employed in the city of Sephorus. And it may, some have speculated that maybe Joseph's family met Mary's family as a result of Joseph and Jesus' work trips to Sephorus to build this Roman city. We don't know, that's just speculation. But we have to wonder how well Joseph knew Mary as he tosses and turns on his bed at night trying to figure out what's going on. 
And he makes a decision. And regardless of how well he did or did not know Mary, his decision was clear. I will not marry her. It was a clear decision based on character. He was a just man. He made his decisions. He scrutinized. He discerned. He looked at his options. He thought through the possibilities against the backdrop of a character of justness. And based on the character of his heart, his relationship with his God, he discerned his options and he scratched off option number one. I will not marry her. I learned something from that. I learned that it's important to never sacrifice convictions for companionship. Young people, could you listen to that one more time? Maybe write it in the flyleaf of your Bible. Never sacrifice convictions for the sake of companionship. Joseph would not sacrifice his his convictions in order to stay in the marriage relationship with Mary because he was a man of character. He was a man of justness. And that character was the backdrop that enabled him to make the decisions that he made. He was motivated by right rather than emotions. Joseph had a second option. His second option was to have her publicly humiliated. How dare you? How dare you? We're, we're, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be having the final ceremony and you're supposed to come and live in the place I've been building for you and we've committed, we've said our vows and our betrothal ceremony. You pro- how dare you do this? And he could have had her publicly humiliated and stoned to death. But verse number 19 said that he was not willing to make her a public example. Because not only was he a man of character, he was also a man of compassion. He loved her. And he was not going to hurt her for hurting him. He was not going to hurt her to get even with her hurting him. Good principle to live your life by. Don't hurt people because they hurt you. Joseph is a man of compassion who will not hurt her by having her publicly humiliated and stoned. But he had a third option. His third option was to divorce her. He had the right to do that in the betrothal period. And so, verse number 19 tells us that he was minded to put her away, which was the term, that, the technical term for divorce. He would put her away privily. He would write her a bill of divorcement. The relationship would be broken, the legal Espousal would be broken with the legal divorcement and he would go on his way and she would go on her way. 
And that's what Joseph decided to do. He would go ahead and divorce her and get on with his life. Because by what he could see, she was unfaithful. She was immoral. She had betrayed his trust. He weighed out his options. And he said, I'm a just man. I can't marry her. I'm a compassionate man. I can't get even with her. I'm just going to let her go away. Discernment. Born out of reflection. You see, to Joseph, the first Christmas meant a time of deep reflection. The Bible tells us in verse number 20, that while he thought on these things. Notice that while he thought on these things. While he thought on these things. How many days did he wrestle over this decision? Behold, the angel of the Lord had appeared to him in a night. Uh, appeared, uh, appeared unto him in a dream, saying. He was, he was thinking about these things. He was wrestling with these things. He was turning over and over in his bed. Perhaps went to sleep with this dilemma on his heart and mind. And, and perhaps, have you ever gone to sleep troubled by something and you dreamed about it? And you woke up in the middle of the night or the next morning and say, Oh, I can't believe the dream I had. Joseph is thinking. He's analyzing. He's discerning. He's wrestling with what to do. And as he slept one night... Tossing and turning in his bed, the angel came to him. The angel had a message for him. The message was clear. Verse number 20, the angel said, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall save his people from their sins. All to fulfill the prophet Isaiah that said in verse 23, A virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Now we need to, we need to uh, make sure we grab hold of this lesson on thinking. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, there be any praise, think on these things. As Christian people, we need to be the deepest thinkers in our culture and society. We need to be the most careful thinkers in our culture and society. We must be people who think. We learn that from the Christmas story. We learn that from analyzing Joseph's part as Joseph thought so deeply about what was happening. Joshua 1.8, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Meditating in the Word of God day and night. Thinking about what God says day and night. Always reflecting back to what God says day and night. And if we do that, the verse goes on to say that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. A life 
that is prosperous, a life that is successful based on God's interpretation of what prosperity and what success is, is intricately related to a deep, serious, meditative thought process on what God says in his word about every situation I face in life. That's Joseph. Joseph was not going to allow his emotions or his desire for this marriage to cloud the character of his life because his life had been built upon carefully considering what God says about every situation in life, meditating therein day and night. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.97, Oh, how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Thinkers, meditators, those who know and think deeply about the Word of God, leads us to the ability to discern at strategic times in our lives. Romans talks about it in chapter 12, where we're told on the basis of our salvation, we're to present our bodies unto God, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be renewed. But uh, but uh, by the be transformed by the renewing of your mind, transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, it goes back to thinking, meditating. The newly saved person in Romans 12 had been brought up in a culture that did not know the Bible, and so now that they're saved, they're being instructed: don't don't be conformed to the world around you, but be transformed by your thought life, by your meditation life, by Renewing your mind with the Word of God so that you will be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Philippians chapter 1, I mentioned a moment ago, encourages us that our love might abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent to be able to make good decisions. You see, we live in a post-Christian culture in America today. And the book of Romans chapter 1 describes what happens when a culture begins to move away from God. And the final stage of God's judgment on a culture that's moved away from Him is to give them a reprobate mind. The word reprobate means something that doesn't work, that doesn't function. A mind... That doesn't function. Why is it that in Western culture, as culture accepts aberrations against natural order, against natural morality created by God, why is it that people with PhDs behind their name can't see anything wrong with, and you fill in the blank, there's multiple things that you could write in there. Because God has given them over to a reprobate mind. A mind that can't think. That can't reason. That can't be logical. I mean, how, how illogical is it for our culture to have claimed that there are a hundred different genders that you might be? We're filled with illogical thought in our culture. It comes from the judgment of God. 
on a people that have rejected the Word of God, rejected the Son of God, and end up with minds that can't think. Joseph stands as a beacon of light in humanity. Here's a man whose, whose life was based on character and compassion. A man who had the backdrop of God's truth in his character, built into his character by his dad and mom and his teachers at the synagogue. So that when he's faced with a dilemma in life that has no easy answer, that's riddled with problems and confusions, and he tosses and he turns and rolls on his bed at night, what do I do? What do I do? And finally makes the decision, I'm going to divorce Mary. And then the angel has to step in because Joseph is making his decision based on truth plus incomplete information. You have assumed another man is involved. And it took God sending an angel to tell Joseph the rest of the story so that Joseph could make the best decision, which was option number one. Go ahead and marry her. Your resistance to option one is because you don't have complete information. In our post-Christian world, we're told that there is no objective truth. The truth is subjective. It's your truth. It's my truth. It's whatever you think is right. Whatever I think is right. And Joseph stands as a beacon in humanity, as a man who knew there is objective truth called the Word of God. And he was making the most difficult decision of his life based upon that objective truth. And God had to intervene because there was information that he could not know that shed light on the decision that needed to be made. Christmas highlights the value, clear thinking, character-based thinking governing our decision-making in life. What a great part of the Christmas story. Let me give you the last, the second and last characteristic. It's a simple characteristic. Joseph was not only a man of discernment, he was a man of obedience. You see, verse number 24. Verse number 24, the Bible says, Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took him in his life. He obeyed God. What changed? He was convinced that God had shown him the reality of what had occurred. That God had in fact performed a miracle. That Mary was still a virgin. She was still pure and moral. She would not betrayed him. She would not lied to him. She would not deceived him. She was who he thought she was all along. And so he married her. With all of the baggage in a culture that would stone a woman like Mary based on their misinformation. Joseph took her. He didn't wait for the espousal period to end. The Bible says he, 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 took, he, he took unto him his wife and yet he had the, he had the personal discipline to know her not. Till after Jesus Christ was born. He sheltered her. He protected her. He gave a name 
a human name to the son that she was carrying. To remove the scorn of society. He was a man of obedience. He obeyed God and did something the world wouldn't understand. He obeyed God and made a decision that everyone else would think he's crazy. He was a man of obedience. He obeyed God even though everything looked like he was doing something crazy. Oh, there's so much to this story that that just is so full in Joseph's experience. He believed the message. Verse number 23, he believed the message of this angel. What was the message of the angel? The message of the angel in verse number 21 to 23 is this baby that Mary is carrying is supernaturally conceived. And, and you're, Joseph, you are going to name him Jesus. Because the name Jesus means Jehovah Savior. You're going to name him Jehovah Savior. The Savior who is Jehovah in human flesh to save me from my sins. For he shall save his people from their sins. It all goes back to our sinfulness and need of a Savior to save us from the sin that is sending us to hell. And in verse number 23, she's a virgin with child. She's not known a man. She's still a virgin even though she's pregnant. And the one she carries is God wrapped in human flesh. Emmanuel. God with us all. Joseph bought it all. He believed it all. He believed everything the angel said to him that night. He believed that Mary was pure. He believed she was still a virgin. He believed she carried God in her womb. He believed that that God in her womb was going to become God with us. And he believed that he was becoming man to die on the cross to save us from our sins. Joseph was a man of obedience. He believed it and immediately acted upon what he believed. What a simple, simple statement of belief. Well, the Christmas story goes on and has so much that's precious and meaningful. But the part that Joseph plays underscores for us two very important principles. First, we need time to reflect. We need time to reflect. We need to be thinkers. That goes back and finds in the Word of God what God thinks about the situation I'm facing. And that takes time. Time to reflect. Time to think. And that reflection must be based upon the Word of God. And second, a desire to do right rather than what I want. A desire to do what's right rather than what's easy. Christmas was an opportunity for Joseph's deep character to be challenged and then to be manifested for all of us to talk about 2,000 years later. His deep character fitted him for the challenging task of being the adoptive father of God and humanity. God needed a man like Joseph to fulfill the role of being the adoptive father of Jesus Christ. Joseph 
was that man. You say, is this just a history lesson of 2,000 years ago? No, unless you don't have any problems. Unless you don't have any challenges in your life that you have to wrestle with. Unless everything is so smooth in your life that you have no dilemmas. But if you ever have dilemmas in your life and challenges and things that you have to make hard decisions on and your emotions pulls you this way and your character pulls you this way and you say, what do I do? What do I do? And you turn in your bed at night and you wrestle. Remember Joseph, a man of character and compassion and obedience. And may he be a great example for all of us as we live our lives.